academia has been so involved in this, the activist part of pushing um, an agenda for decades. And the ultimate agenda is pedophilia. But over time, the the medical diagnoses have changed. And so in uh, 2014, I think it was 2014, it went to gender dysphoria. Ken Zucker, who was um, fired unceremoniously from uh, his clinic in Toronto after 30 years, who has done most, uh, he's done the most amazing research for all those years. And he had great success. But you see, that's when Bill C-77 came in in Ontario. And that was the affirmation only bill for children that were struggling with questions of gender and sexuality. And so he didn't quite fit the mold for that because he treated them very successfully with behavior therapy and family therapy and trauma therapy and things like that, which is they're very treatable. It's a very treatable condition um, in the one sense that the vast majority of these children never went on to become transsexual because that was the word for adult um, adults who actually went through uh, the process of becoming uh, a transsexual. It wasn't transgender. Transgender is just simply a political a political usage, it's not a medical determination. We are also very honored to have Dr. Anne Gillies joining us as our special guest speaker on tonight's Empower Hour. Anne is a wife, mother, grandmother, professional counselor, ordained pastor, international speaker, trauma specialist, author of several books, as well as the founder of Restoring the Mosaic. Her research is in the area of child and adult attachment, trauma, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, and the current transgender phenomenon. Anne is a voice of reason and an advocate for our vulnerable children who are being psychologically and physically harmed by the indoctrination of gender-affirming ideology. Tanya and Anne, we are all looking forward to tonight's discussion. Thank you, Heather, and welcome, Dr. Anne. It is such a privilege to have you on the show again. Uh, just listening to Heather, you know, and listing off all of your accomplishments, I, I don't know how you've ever had time to sleep. <laughs> well, you're one to talk, Tanya. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's, I'm just... What, what I'd like to do is my, my um, intro there with the weekly update took a little longer. We're, we're changing our schedule, and uh, so we're shifting our times a little bit. So my apologies that I took a little longer. So I just want to get straight into your presentation and uh, handing the floor over to you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Tanya. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for your intro. I mean, the 15-minute intro, that was spectacular. And that's exactly what's happening in Ontario, where I live, and our school boards, we've been really standing up, and some things are starting to uh, happen. I believe there's going to be a good pushback. I just finished another letter to the school board today. I did have some bad news recently in that I lost, well, my case, uh, against mm -hmm. the school board for 2019 was disallowed. 
So I'm just kind of looking into what next steps we can do with that. But I mean, we have to keep pushing back. So I don't like having uh, to pay the school board. Uh, We'll have to figure that out. But the reality is we have to speak out and we have to keep doing it because we have truth on our side. We have verifiable non-government paid research, the stuff that isn't controlled by the that actually says the truth about our children. So yes, I'm going to get right into this. I'm going to share a PowerPoint okay. presentation tonight. And, um, and I'll send it to you, Tanya. Um, so yeah, let me get right into it. It's good to have everyone on. I know I've been here before, but I'm going to talk tonight about the dangers of affirming gender dysphoria. Let me get this up for you. And I'll put it on the slideshow. Uh, from the beginning. Here we go. So I'm going to talk about what it, why it's so dangerous to affirm gender dysphoria and the whole ideology. Now, some of you have seen these this chart before. I mean, I've talked about this before uh, many times, but this is just from one clinic, the Tavistock Clinic in the UK, which, um, and you can see the trajectory from 2009 to 2017. And then in 2021, it was 5,000. They had 5,000 children that um, came through the doors of the Tapestock Clinic. 2023, the clinic has closed. It is closing. I think it was May. It's closed. And that is good news. And the reason it's closed is because there was an investigation and 35 psychologists and psychiatrists had left the Tavistock Clinic because they were fed up with what they were seeing and the the children were not being properly cared for. So this is all good news. Some things are are actually towering down. The towers are collapsing. But I want to talk again about the prevalence of gender dysphoria, and then I'm going to go into the dangers of affirming it. So the reality is that fewer than one in 10,000 adult natal males, that's biological male, and one in 30,000 adult natal biological females experience gender dysphoria. That is a very minute percentage compared to what we are seeing in the whole teen and young adult population. Natal girls, biological girls, now comprise half from half to 90% of the clinical adolescent samples. And you'll see the research there so that you know that this isn't coming just off the top of my head and go, oh, she's just spouting something again. No, no, this is reliable research. So gender dysphoria in children, there, these children have between three and 5% um, or three and five, um, three to five pre-existing mental health concerns. That means that before they are ever beginning to socially transition or have thoughts that they might be in the wrong body, they have mental illness issues that are often, most often, undiagnosed and untreated. The majority of these children, according to one study, had existing diagnoses on the autism spectrum. So this is incredible. The majority of them. The studies previously, earlier studies, I had seen up to 30%, and now they're saying the majority of these children actually are on the spectrum. 
This is targeting, this this whole agenda is targeting the most vulnerable of our children. They are actually being targeted by this group and it is horrific. So those are kind of some of the stats. The reality is these children have a history of self-harm long before they start socially transitioning. They have a history of self-harm, suicidal ideation, symptoms of distress, somatic, so sleeping disorders, ADHD, oppositionally defiant, and they have conduct problems. All of those symptoms are actually symptoms of complex trauma, which is what is left untreated in these children. So these children experience suicidality that is consistently higher for females. So the targets of our girls, remember, up to 90% of these children are girls, which was never the case with gender identity disorder in the past up to 2015. So it's strongly associated with a degree of behavioral and emotional problems that they already have. Don't let uh, these people delude you and tell you that these are healthy children, you know, and they are healthily and in their right mind deciding that they want to be an opposite sex. Remember to keep gender and sex separate because quite honestly, that's a whole skew of the language. Gender is simply how you express your femininity or masculinity. Sex is your biological determination, which cannot be changed no matter what medication or surgery that the child has. So these adolescents, that are diagnosed with gender dysphoria have a greater number of behavioral and emotional programs in general. So that's a huge issue. That means those are usually showing up in schools long before the child uh, comes out as trans. And, you know, it's, it's really sad because all of this is untreated and the parents are ignored. They're usually cast aside well, always cast aside. Um, the warning for psychologists and psychiatrists are that psychiatric events, is not a nice word, have been reported in patients uh, taking GNRH suppression. So what that is, um, that's the puberty blockers. So what kind of events are being reported by children when they start taking these puberty blockers? Well, emotional liability, that means it's up and it's down, they're all over the place. Anger is huge. Lots of crying, irritability, impatience, I said anger, and aggression. And as these children then continue on this trajectory, going from puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones, the aggression becomes more and more pertinent. Um, psychiatrists and psychologists have to monitor for these symptoms. Are they doing that? I don't know, because the children are just being put on this conveyor belt pretty quickly. And it depends on the doctor. It depends on this specialist whether they will follow through and follow up. Um, if they're going through a Planned Parenthood um, gender care system, they are not going to have follow up like they would with a psychiatrist. So it all depends, right? After a year on puberty blockers, Children report greater self-harm. Do you hear that? It doesn't lessen 
the symptoms. It doesn't lessen the mental health issues. Girls experience now more behavioral problems and greater dissatisfaction with their bodies. If this isn't the saddest commentary on what is happening in our society, I don't know what is. Because, you know, children and adolescents, especially young girls that are, you know, approaching puberty, struggle with body image. That is across the board, 100%, I would say, at some point, struggle with their body image. And yet, we put them on puberty blockers, and then we make it worse. I love this line. This comes from Michael Biggs, who is a um, a researcher and endocrinologist, I think he is. I can't be sure. Just I have, might have to go back with that. Um, puberty blockers exasperated gender dysphoria. This is the newest research out. Puberty blockers exasperate gender dysphoria. They do not change the underlying symptoms. They worsen them. And then the whole confusion and the uneasiness and the dysphoria is worse when they are on puberty blockers. These children are not getting better. They are not being helped. Affirming care is harming these children drastically. The long-term side effects? Well, once again, the majority of, of subjects who were studied reported long-term side effects that extended beyond puberty blocker use. So some of these um, now adolescents quit taking puberty blockers. They decided it wasn't for them. They desisted. That means they didn't go through with the hormones. And what they reported, almost a third reported irreversible side effects that persisted for years after discontinuing treatment. What are we doing? What are we allowing to be done to our children? And what are we allowed, allowing to be taught in our education system? Tanya, you did such a great job in talking about what's happening in the schools and the aggressive um, ideology that is becoming more and more radicalized. It's horrific. There will be consequences. Mark my words, there's going to be consequences to school boards down the road because some of these children are going to come back and, and have lawsuits in their hands. Tavistock, the clinic I talked about at the very beginning, is facing at least a thousand lawsuits from now adults who they chose, uh, the, the clinic, pushed through on this conveyor belt. And these children now adults are saying, we were not informed. You didn't tell us the consequences of these decisions and you didn't give us an option. You pushed this. Hmm. What's gonna happen in Canada? So puberty blockers castrate at the level of the brain. So what happens there is there's a chemical, such a chemical uh, imbalance in the sense of what should be there in puberty that once they're through puberty and they, they well, through not going through puberty because they're on puberty blockers, then they actually have this, this um, sexual castration in their brain. And so instead of allowing adolescents, you know, the whole wait and see puberty blockers, they're good because then that gives the child a, an opportunity to wait and, and to watch 
and that they'll be fine once they're on puberty blockers, then, you know, they won't have to deal with all of the other things. And we haven't given them the wait and see time. They, they've been uh, totally, totally um, forced to not have gone through puberty. And that, that then pushes them toward cross-sex hormones, which we know, and then sex reassignment surgery. Puberty blocker increases the risk, physical risks as well. I've talked about the emotional risks, the behavioral risks, um, but it also increases the risk of osteoporosis and pathological fractures in later life. Actually, it doesn't take long for that to start. Um, I've heard reports from detransitioners that in their 20s, they are already experiencing fractures because it suppresses the bone mineral density that is supposed to develop during puberty. And it also uh, reduces the growth that a child is to have and their height is lessened. So many things um, are compromised by puberty blocking. And then the whole issue of lower cognitive functioning. And I think I mentioned this a little bit last time, Tanya, when I was on that, that um, there's some research starting to come out and they're they're seeing that you know puberty blocking actually could just lower cognitive ability and it makes a lot of sense because that's when our brain you know in those early teen years recalibrates just like a 2-year-old brain and so there's a lot of growth that's supposed to happen and if the child doesn't go through puberty that growth isn't happening so that is a real detriment for these children uh in adulthood let me go on to cross sex um hormone therapy, because this is really, um, really what just pushes that child into some pretty precocious things. Um, again, this will not help them change their sex. We need to be honest. It is kind to be truthful to these children and to tell them the truth that they can never change their sex. They can change their thoughts, their gender, how they, how they respond and their outward appearance. They can't change their biological sex. Testosterone, the normal levels, according to biological sex for women are between 300 and a thousand nanograms. And for men between, Oh, I've got that backwards. I'm sorry. I, uh, 300 to 1,000 nanograms for men and 50, 15 to 70 nanograms for women. Now, in the U.S., we use milligrams. But the reality is what uh, happens when they go, women, girls, go on um, testosterone, they are given between 300 and 1,000 nanograms. And the female body experiencing these male levels of testosterone is something that has never been experienced in medical science before. We haven't seen it uh, apart from androgen secreting tumors. So if an individual has a tumor um, that is secreting something like this, it, the hormone, then that's the only time it's ever been witnessed. And so we wouldn't wanna wish that on anyone. And yet we're doing it to our girls. There's complications. I talked about a couple of them for, for girls to men. So female to male that um, are transitioning to become men. Cardiovascular and cerebral 
disease, uh, cerebral palsy disease, sorry, I can't even pronounce that tonight, uh, but strokes. So heart attacks and strokes, they have higher levels of breast and uterine cancer, which makes sense, right? Um, diabetes type 2, severe acne, liver dysfunction, hypertension, and liver cancer. So these, these are studies from 2018, uh, I think this up to 2020, and there's more coming out. So we're getting some of uh, what we suspected years ago. We're actually seeing the research back us up at this point. So let's talk about estrogen in males, because it's not only girls that are transitioning. Maybe the majority, but there's still boys that are deciding that they can be girls. So what we see um, is for men, uh, for boys and men, estrogen is part of their makeup as well. Just as there's testosterone in the female body and at normal levels. So there's estrogen in the male body. And it's necessary for sexual functioning contributes to the overall health and well-being of the child, uh, produces, uh, promotes the production of sperm, which is interesting because then when it's over-accentuated, then things change on another level. It influences sexual behavior and organizes the brain to program sexual behavior. This is in at normal levels for men and for boys. But putting um them on estrogen to become in their minds a female increases the rate of deep vein blood clots three to five times this is this is a big deal because blood clots can go right to the heart right they can kill you this is not a health benefit even though the WHO and UNESCO are saying this is healthy for children. So after eight years on um, cross-sex hormones, blood clots are increased 16%, 16-fold. This is a lot. This is astronomical, and no one's talking about it. Heart attacks double as this child then becomes an adult and then later life. We're killing our children. We're not only mutilating their bodies horrifically, but now we're killing them as adults. Part of the agenda, I would think. There's more complications. The incident of breast cancer for male to female transitioners, 46%, 46-fold higher than non-transitioning males. So this, uh, yeah, again, astronomical percentages here. Estrogen can cause increased weight gain and insulin uh, resistance. So that, I mean, that goes to the whole issue of diabetes and diabetes too, and new um, and more uh, complicating factors and diagnoses for this adolescent who then, you know, uh, becomes an adult and has continuing health problems. And um, not just continuing, but more and more as they age. Puberty blockers, they're a momentous step in the dark. This is 
that it can't be said any plainer than this. It is in, in some ways very much like the COVID vaccine because it's all experimental medication. These are experimental meds. They were used for precocious uh, puberty at a medical um, at a medical level for a short period of time when a child was having uh, early puberty uh, onset. So usually eight year olds and nine year olds. So doctors would want to just kind of delay that puberty for a, a while, but they weren't to stay on the blockers. And that's different than what's happening to the children who are identifying, cross-sex identifying at this point. The current evidence does not support informed decision-making and safe practice in children. So that is a position statement. And this is uh, in the British Medical Journal. You hear that? A position statement in the British Medical Journal that says current evidence does not support informed decision-making and safe practice in children. When are we going to get that memo in Canada? It doesn't seem to be happening. Um, And just recently, I just read this, that the Department, Canadian Department of Justice, because I think this is all intertwined, has a new designation for women that all people who identify as women, whether cisgender, that's heterosexual, or transgender, they're all the same. They're all women. This is absolutely ludicrous. You wonder why people are starting to get um, a little annoyed and there's some pushback? Because we are in this transgender moment that has um, pushed us into this next decade and is creating all kinds of injustice. I want to finish with a couple more slides because I want you to understand um, the whole issue of radical gender theorists and what they believe. So Tanya said this earlier, we're not talking about um, the average gay, lesbian, or even transgender individual. We're talking about radical activists. They believe that the drag queen story hour can be used to create a site of queer pleasure. That means they're they're trying to queer, and queering just means turn everything upside down. So anything that was normative, particularly regarding heterosexual behavior, marriage, family, everything like that, they queer to turn it upside down and make that abnormal. And for instance, drag queens and the exhibitionists normal. So what they believe is that we need to under uh, to overcome the false notion of childhood innocence. Don't ever let anyone tell you that childhood should not be a time of innocence. This is what pedophiles want. This is what these radical activists want you to believe. But childhood is supposed to be a time of innocence. And parents are supposed to protect their children from these very agendas. Who would have ever thought we'd be at this place in Canada in 2023? They also believe that uh, they're supposed to pose restrictions on child porn. That's why you have so much happening in the schools. There's so much porn in those books. And Tanya, you've been doing a great job at exposing those. But here's what 
the radical gender theorists want. They want anti-child pornography laws um, to be revoked. They believe that those laws are just a result of erotic hysteria and child porn panic. That's their words, not mine. Child porn panic. As though we, as parents and grandparents, teachers, whoever you are, are panicking over the porn. No, we're not panicking. We haven't got on board quick enough. That's the problem. These theorists oppose all restrictions on adult-child sexual relationships. Pedophilia, let's call it what it is. They are in agreement with it. And this has been coming for decades. And I mean, I've talked about this oh, 15 years ago. I was talking about this. But they call for eliminating the restriction of transgenerational relationships. Don't you love the wording? It just kind of like all of the other uh, wording, it's meant to desensitize you to the reality. They call for the restriction of incest, uh, eliminating restrictions on incest is what it should say, and pedophilia. That's what they're asking for. And so we as parents, grandparents, teachers, anyone involved with children need to shout this stuff from the, the rooftops. We have to be able to talk about this and we can't be stopped no matter what the school boards are telling you. We need to join together, link arms and keep pushing back. Mm -hmm. All right. Wow. And thank you so much. You have just put a lot of information. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of problem with my screen. Just a moment. I think it's on my end. There we go. All right. Um, just, just the information that you've packed into that PowerPoint. I, I was making the notes like we know that with um, also with gender dysphoria, the ninety percent of this being girls. When historically, uh, yeah. those who struggled with trans or gender dysphoria were male, and yes. um, I, you know that's why I believe this is a social contagion. They are manufacturing this in the schools by strategically planting the doubt in the child's mind around the age of 12, 13, 14 years old by bringing a trans activist to school and saying, hey, if you're not comfortable with your body, you're struggling with gender dysphoria. It's, it's brilliant if you want to say it in that form in a very sick way, but it's like so reckless because what girl going through development and puberty is comfortable with her body? I don't, I don't think yeah. anybody could name one, right? And, and so now you've got this mass contagion of girls who are identifying as boys and um, the increase. I, I want to ask you one thing. I, I know I was making a note as well is that it wasn't always called gender dysphoria. It no. used to be called, I believe it was, um, gender identity disorder. Absolutely, yes. Yes, and like all things on this whole um, bandwagon, I'll call it bandwagon, uh, because academia, academia has been so involved in this, the activist part of pushing um, an agenda for decades, and the ultimate agenda is pedophilia. But over time, the the medical diagnoses have changed. And so in uh, 2014, 
I think it was 2014, it went to gender dysphoria. And Ken Zucker, um, our Canadian, um, Ken Zucker, who was um, fired unceremoniously from uh, his clinic in Toronto after 30 years, who has done most, uh, he's done the most amazing research for all those years. And he had great success. But you see, that's when Bill C-77 came in in Ontario. And that was the affirmation only bill for children that were struggling with questions of gender and sexuality. And so he didn't quite fit the mold for that because he treated them very successfully with behavior therapy and family therapy and trauma therapy and things like that, which Mm -hmm. is they're very treatable. It's a very treatable condition um, in the one sense that the vast majority of these children never went on to become transsexual because that was the word for adult um, adults who actually went through uh, the process of becoming uh, a transsexual. It wasn't transgender. Transgender is just simply a political, a political usage. It's not a medical determination. Right. And you know, when we're we're taking a look at it, um, even with the gender identity disorder and changing it to gender dysphoria, my understanding was is because before it was a clinical diagnosis yes. to have gender identity with the disorder. And through all of this, as uh, the UN and the WHO were mandating that member nations amend their human rights code to include gender expression and gender identity, They also Mm -hmm. strategically had removed uh, gender identity disorder from the list of mental health illnesses and and, uh, transgenderism, right? So that as they were strategically and incrementally putting these pieces in place to get to this time where they're like, oh, oh, you know, you can't say that you're in violation of the human rights code. And it's like nothing else exists on the human rights codes right now, except for everything surrounding gender identity and gender expression. And, and, And so it has been an incremental attack against society. Oh, yes. And it's just, it's been so strategic. I mean, when you talk about strategies, I mean, the whole strategy with LGBT activism, right from, you know, the the 60s onward, it was, it's been totally strategic. They have spent all these decades building layer upon layer upon layer upon layer to get where we are now. And even those people, and there were, there were people that were that got it and saw what was happening and they spoke out. But I mean, 98% of the population or more went, oh yeah, you're just, you know, you're overreacting. Now I want to ask, are we overreacting? No, (laughs) we are not overreacting. This is what we could see. Well, well, you know what? I couldn't have said uh, that I saw everything that's transpiring now coming down. The transgender, yes, and the surgeries and the the medication and all that, I could see that several years ago. But the furry phenomenon and uh black is white and and other other kind of ideological identities that are just um becoming rampant and the whole neo pronoun, you know, um gamut where you know you have to be so politically correct uh it's just enough to 
I can't imagine children in the school system having to deal with this. It, it, it's no surprise that the academics are suffering tremendously oh, because absolutely. children's brains only absorb so much. Well, and, you know, there's this meme, and it's this little mother, it's like family circle kind of meme, and the mother's looking down at her little guy, and she says, oh, how was school today? And in in the second image, it shows this little boy just vomiting, but it was a whole LGBTQ rainbow, right? And that's why I mean, your kids are being overwhelmed in school with all of this. They're being confused beyond belief because God did create us very clearly, male and female. I, I know that there's going to be people who are unbelievers and atheists and all the rest of it, but, you know, I just truly believe that there's two sexes. It's always worked. It makes sense, right? You cannot uh, procreate without male and female. It's a great design. The family unit is a fabulous design, and they actually say societies that have the strongest marriages are the ones even that financially are benefiting the greatest, and that's less people reliant on government assistance. You know, we all hear uh, the stories about single moms trying to raise three children, uh, living in a basement suite. I have a very dear friend of me, friend of mine right now, and uh, I mean, there's so many areas of tyranny going on, and one of them, of course, is flooding Canada. Canada with immigrants, one that will never have a desire to integrate and assimilate, but they're going to vote for Trudeau because they saved him from a, a more tyrannical country, but they just don't see what's coming. And, you know, with within all of this is the fact that uh, she's a single mother, but she's got her parents living with her and uh, an older brother that struggles with uh, Down syndrome, and she's adopted a little guy. And she was already paying $3,500 a month for a house. And now the landlord, this is here in the Lower Mainland, has said, you know what, I want that house. My son's going to move in. And now it's $5,700 for a house because of what Trudeau is doing. Anyways, that's just a little sidetrack about how irate I get over how all of this, uh, you know, division and hate, literally they loathe the creation that God has created and the structure of the natural family. And I want to say that natural family. And, and that's something that we're facing. And those are also not only the autistic kids at school. I've been talking to a teacher who said it's the most vulnerable kids at school who are falling into this, which includes those with broken families with or even in families with a mom and dad. But, you know, that there's there's troubles within that family unit. You're right. And it, it's it's the whole issue of um, child adverse effects. Right. So children who have been traumatized or have, you know, had uh, disabilities or any of those kind of things. I did want to say something, Tanya, about the family unit and the whole deconstructing of the family, which has been going on for decades, because this whole, that's part of the activist agenda is to, is to divide men and women and to make us hate each other, number one. Like It's like this just hatred for everything, but particularly hate marriage and family. And that is so, so sad because that is the most complete unit that we can ever, ever have. And I'm not talking about bad marriages. I was in one of those. I understand that. That does not negate the fact that a good marriage is the best place, a good marriage between a man and a woman, 
a mom and dad of these children is the best place to raise children. And they are the healthiest children. They are the ones who will learn. They will succeed. They are the very bedrock of society. But you see, that's part of the whole process of annihilation of society. It is. And it started after World War II with the 45 goals of communism. And uh, those goals, too, you know, in Canada, they've met all 45. Uh, one was, you know, to take away, try to take away guns. They haven't succeeded in that. And I hope they, they won't. Um, anyways, but part of that was to elevate women, uh, to make yeah. them feel ashamed for being just a housewife. Never mind the building of a home in a society that is on the backs of a woman who doesn't stop until everything is done at night, and then to emasculate men. And you could see how TV did that. I wish everybody would shut their TVs off and cancel their cable. And uh, let's just give um, all, all of them a really hard hit in that industry, because the emasculation of men and the lack of respect for such a time as this has caused men, uh, not every single man, but a lot of men to look at each other and, and see this abuse of their children going on and having no idea that they should be standing up for ferociously and putting a stop to it. And um, I encouraged in my weekly update, I just want to remind people that came on after the show began and for the, our viewers that we're changing our schedule up a bit and I'm doing a weekly uh, update. I've been doing this for a while, but it will be from 4.45 till 5 o'clock um, PST. And, you know, uh, within that, we bring a lot of information that we also discuss on the show. Uh, but it is just so critical that we understand how important that family unit is. And yesterday on our parent webinar, we are uh, we had a guest on in the past two weeks, Wendy Livingston, and she homeschooled seven children. And I love something that she said, that she would teach all of her kids that when dad was going to come home, they cleaned up the house to clean a pathway to his chair. <laughs> you know, that, that there'd be as much order as possible in that house with seven children. And that dad would have time, you know, with his kids before they showed yeah. maybe the projects they'd been working on, but there was honor. And I remember, you know, the honor that was in my home from my dad when he came home from work and my mom had no um, hostility towards being the one that was making the dinners and doing the laundry. It was just a natural part of what women were doing and there was no shame in it. And I know women are strong and they're they're working and, you know, that's important, but we do need to honor our men and we do need to call them up in such a time as this as well. So I agree. I agree. And we need to be able, you know, men and women can work together. That's that's the reality. We work together. We may have different roles in working together, but we work together for the benefit of the family. And that, yes. that's the order and it's a beautiful thing because we can then enjoy you know watching the children go in and the family that grows up and moves out into the world and so it's it's going to be um hard picking up the pieces of this generation that's that's going to be the next step and it started already you know and so hopefully um there'll be some people around that will help do that because we really need that I, I think there is going to be a major reboot and it will take time. I know that even in the most sinister, sly types of ways, uh, these activist teachers are in the school systems. We had it here in the last couple of years, and I'm sure probably in every single province, but there was a report, I believe it was out of Quebec, 
And uh, some teacher, Mother's Day had just passed, and it was going to be Happy Parents' Day. Anyways, there was a ton of backlash about it, and the media had reported on it. And because of the backlash, they tried to cover it up as well. You know, it's for those kids whose parents had passed away. (laughs) And I'm like, you bunch of liars. This was part of the agenda to uh, eliminate mother and father. Don't lie to the public and try to cover up, you, you know, the, the, the sinister agenda that you're performing here. And really, when you take a look at it, one of the things the Bible says, it's, it's like made the top 10. It's in the commandments, but it says, honor your father and mother. Well, where's one of the pl- places traditionally they would learn to honor their fa- father and mother, but was at school, you know? I remember being at school and making my mom that special card and gluing on the little flower and, you know, writing Happy Mother's Day, Mom, I love you and thank you. And I mean, they're just trying to rob our kids at, at every single turn. And so even these small things, they're not small you have to react and respond. You have to be outraged about these things because they're part of a bigger picture. Um, one thing I want to ask you, you, you know, we were talking about uh, the, this radical gender theory and the conversion therapy farce. So you and I had met some years ago. And in December 2019, uh, the bill back then, it was called Bill C-6. I mean, Trudeau was on this campaign with the liberals and all of the uh, homosexual and uh, LGBTQ activists that are in his liberal party pushing for a ban to conversion therapy. And the reality is, is that conversion therapy hasn't existed in Canada for 60 years, for decades. And it consisted of people who were struggling with homosexuality, and they themselves just didn't want to be living this lifestyle. And and so as part of therapy, they received, and and it really is, uh, very cruel, the electric shock treatments. They were institutionalized. They were given drugs and um, castrated, etc. So as uh, you and I had met and I put a team together of all the leaders in Canada and we would meet in some Zoom calls saying, you know, we need to respond and, and, uh, you know, address this. And of course, the Trudeau government was trying to push this through, but they failed to because another election came up and then any existing bills die. And Mm -hmm. in 2021, they came up with Bill C-4, pushed it through the Senate, and by December 2022, um, it had become law. But it isn't actually law because it's in violation of our Constitution. And Section 52.1 of the Constitution says that if it's in violation of the Constitution, it's of no force or effect. And, and so we need to fight these things in court. But just for the benefit of them saying this is law, according to Bill C-4, a parent, if they don't affirm gender dysphoria, as you were saying, they can go to jail for five years. You as a therapist could go to jail for three years if you're caught uh, trying to get to the bottom of why they're feeling like they're gender dysphoric. And so the very thing that they claimed, which is complete farce, and I just want people to really understand how diabolical this is, is that they said they were against electric shock treatments, drugs, and castration. And yet here they are on mass giving drugs, harmful hormone blockers, and you just went over all of that, and they are castrating and mutilating our children. Trudeau should be locked up. David Lametti should be locked up. Every single person who has pushed this agenda and is funding this agenda, these doctors, 
that are mutilating our children. Mutilation is actually in the criminal code as an indictable offense in Canada. And I've been meeting with the RCMP and I'm like, you know, I thought this was an indictable offense. And you had also mentioned um, also the uh, Canadian Department of Justice. And uh, Sheila is an amazing investigator and researcher. And she has just been providing me all of this information. Well, the Canadian Department of Justice, guess what? They are a huge funder of the LGBTQ. Massive. We're talking millions of dollars. And these are our taxpayers' dollars kind of funneling through one department into another. And once you start going backwards, you see it all coming from the government. So the LGBTQ are well-funded, but it's all by the government. This isn't like, you know, they were complaining about Action for Canada because of, uh, you know, our our funds and the fact that we're creating funds to take legal actions, etc. And I'm looking, yeah, but we're honestly, Canadians are donating their money to us because they see that we're fighting a good fight. And on that, please continue to donate. We need monthly donors. No, we're taking legal actions and we're, we're very serious about this. But here, our tax dollars, without our permission, are funneling down into the very people that are causing all of this uh, tyranny against our children and all of this abuse. It's, it's a well, sordid affair. I tell you, it's very laughable if it wasn't so sad. But Dr. Christopher Wells, uh, I was testifying at Regina um, at their um, government meetings on on conversion therapy, and he he stated that this is a very well funded group. And I mean, honestly, if it wasn't so sad, I would have laughed. But we have no money. I mean, we I everything I do is is either by, on my own dollar or donation, and people they have the money and everything. If you take what the activists say and turn it upside down, if you queer it on them, then then you'll get the truth. Then you'll get the yes. truth because it's almost exactly opposite. You raised a really really important thing though about the whole conversion therapy and. You know, all of their, um, it was rhetoric about it still happening. And those kind of things haven't happened in uh, psychology. And, you know, then they sit in church basements. Well, I've been in a lot of churches. I've never seen anything like that. I know that we prayed for people. Goodness sakes, people want prayer. They should be able to get prayer for whatever they want. But the reality is that that all that conversion therapy hoopla was to put in place this law so that we could not treat these children who decide, you know, to desist or to um, detransition. Because that's, these are now adults, many of them are now adults, and where do they get help? Where do they go to get help? Because they want to um, re-identify with their biological sex. And there's very, very little help for these individuals. And that's all part of this conversion therapy. They have been so strategic and we've had our heads on the ground. So it's really, it's a very sad thing. 
Yeah, the the uh, detransitioners, right? They have no funding. They have no support. No. And when you take a look at it, I've been talking about, uh, I'll talk about, I know there's the WIN sex ed curriculum and there's the SOGI 123 learning resource, but it's all the comprehensive sexuality education resource that comes from the UN, but by a different name. And so yeah. with SOGI, I've gotten a hand of um, the teacher's resource. It's not easy to find. It was because somebody else had given me a brochure and I had to do a QR code and then I've got this resource. But for K to four, okay, this is how they're doing it with children, right? So they, I'm going to back up. So for instance, in it happened, uh, I think in 2012 with the wind sex ed curriculum, but they've been going at this 20, 30 years in, in trying to bring the LGBTQ books in, victimizing boo-hoo, you know, I don't have my books in there to sexualize children in the way that I want to. It was putting, you know, their foot in the door and then that wasn't slammed shut. At first it wasn't, but they are persistent and this victimizing of them. And it's like any person that I knew that was gay lesbian wasn't walking around like a victim. You know, they were co-workers. I've got a family member on, on my ex's side and, you know, that they're achieving their goals. And so where does all this victimization come from, but to push a more sinister agenda? So we've really got to watch for this. So back in 2016, in July, they push an amendment to the Human Rights Code in BC, goes through first, second, and third reading Nobody knew, nobody showed up for the vote except for, except for 100 sex activists. In September, they end up launching SOGI in 12 or almost 12 pilot schools. By the uh, end of the school year in 2017, March, April, May, parents are starting to find out what the heck are you teaching our children that you can be a boy, girl, neither, or anything in between. And they start to question it. So the BC government passes a uh, legislative order stating that the Minister of Education is no longer responsible for learning resources. It's on the school board trustees because they knew, I believe they knew that legal actions were coming. Then you've got trust Justin Trudeau passing Bill C-16 into law. And I think it was 2017, you've got the UN changing the order for mental health illnesses. Uh, illnesses, And then you've got the criminal code, Bill C-75, lessening the charges against sexual offenders. So all of this was coming up prior to all this COVID, which I'm thankful for because it started waking people up. But now they need to understand the history of how we got into this situation. And people like you and I and other good people across the nation were trying to raise the alarms to say, this is what's happening. And, and so I truly believe that we can turn this over, but we need to be a united front. And that's why Action for Canada is forming the chapters. So within the communities, everything that our national office is uh, promoting, we're, we're absolutely grassroots doing them at that community level as well. And partnering with people like yourself, having them come and speak at engagements, because Anne, you help to educate people in a manner from, from the medical and psychological side of this. Because when Bill C-4 ended up passing, they're trying to silent you now that they've indoctrinated our children and, and so confused that 
prior to this, you were saying that generally it was males and there was such great success in working them through to it that they didn't even continue in pursuing transgender, trans, what did you call it? Not sexual. transgenderism, trans, be, yeah. being a transsexual. But now we don't have the opportunity to focus on asking our children where did the harm start? Well, because it's all going to go back to the school system. This is well, where they're being indoctrinated and abused. That's right. And, you know, here we have, so all of the strategies, everything that's come to, into play to this point in time and working together and understanding what's going on to, so that we can work together is imperative. But we have to attack this on many, many fronts. And I just finished um, signing several of my latest book called Implosion, When the Pendulum um, Swings Too Far, for our municipal councillors. I'm going to deliver a copy to each one tomorrow because it's a short book, it's an easy read, and it's just the current condition. It doesn't go into all the history, it doesn't go into Bill C-4, doesn't go into any of that. But it does make them aware of what are you celebrating when you celebrate pride and when you fly the flags. And a few years ago, I presented to the council municipally about the flags and said, you know, that it will be a discriminatory act if you fly the LGBT uh, Q flag, because quite honestly, there are many flags that represent the nationalities and the ethnic groups in our region and uh, the, the diversity of religion. There's all kinds. You fly the governmental flags. You know, this is what I asked. And they did that. But there's such a move, you know, to do all that. So one of the things I talk about in this book is every color under the rainbow. And it, it's a wake up call to say, what are you celebrating? Because people don't understand. They don't know what one flag means from the other. They don't understand the trans flag. They don't understand the whole trajectory toward pedophilia and all kinds of other issues. So trying to keep it simple for them, handing them a book, I hope they will read it. I'll be calling them to find out. And, you know, that's just where we go. Oh, yeah, Deep Impact, that book, um, that's my... Um, so that was my first book, actually. It's on complex trauma because as a therapist, that's what I specialized in. Um, so my latest book actually is this one. So I don't know if you have, it's on yeah, Amazon Yeah, we were trying well. to bring the yeah. link up as yeah, well. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay, we short. have. Go ahead. I just wanted uh, our viewers to know that we're going to have that information. It's on the Empower Hour page, the bio page that we created for you, so that if people click on there, they can find the information, as well as on our page. Sorry, Sheila, you always give it to me, the chat links under Empower Hour. We will be sure to make sure that information's available, because I, I would really please support Anne in the work she's doing. Please purchase her books and help her get them into the hands of elected officials as well. That's awesome, Anne. Uh, you have uh, some new books coming up as well. Did you want to mention those? Yes, I'm actually, I'm actually completing a book right now. I started editing it today, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, it, but it's on the dangers of affirming gender dysphoria, gender ideology, the whole thing, the dangers of affirming it and where it will lead to. And so that one, I hope, will be out in a couple of months. I have a children's book, Whatever Happened to Emily. It should be out in June. 
And so that's for parents uh, and for children between, I would say, 9 and 14, that age. And then I have another one that I'm going to have out later in the summer. Maybe it might not be out to September called Loving Your Non-Conforming Child. So that's for parents and grandparents to help them navigate these very, very difficult waters when a child comes out and decides they're in the wrong body or all of those kind of things, because parents have been just trampled under uh, underfoot and they have been so traumatized and so wounded. It's all part of the deconstructing of families. So yeah, those will be coming out this year. Right. It is. And I think um, when you, when you, when those books come out, I'd like to have you back on the show. And especially because we've had a lot of parents, uh, you know, asking for advice. What, what do I do? My grandchild is now identifying as the opposite sex or my child, and they just really need to have that interaction with somebody. It's a horrific state that we find ourselves in. And I've wept over this, Anne, and I'm sure that you have as well, uh, you know, for the hearts and minds of our children and how it's pulling families apart. Um, can I ask you as well, uh, it says, with the predominance, I'm going to, I'm, there's only a couple of questions that I found here, with the predominance of autistic spectrum disorder in children with gender dysphoria, I was surprised to hear how high the level is. Well, maybe not surprised, but is it possible that the disorder of GD has been manufactured to prevent these children from breeding? In other words, is as a form of ethnic cleansing? Ooh. <laughs> Oh, that's quite a question. You know, I've thought about that. And I think there's a correlation correlation between the two. And I, um, what I had read a few years ago is that gender dysphoria and autism were kind of neck and neck um, in the population. But of course, gender dysphoria has come up like this. And now that last report, which I was surprised with too, I hadn't read that the majority of um, these children uh, have or will be um diagnosed on the autism spectrum and so you have to wonder there what's going on when you think about the whole issue of um yeah infertility and all of those things that it's it's so intertwined so that's a really hard question to answer i don't have the answers but suspicions absolutely Right. Yeah. I remember years ago, I, I did a call to action campaign against CBC. Uh, this was pre-COVID, but what they were doing, I, I wrote to the CBC ombudsperson. And of course, CBC was having their drag shows for kids program. And three individuals from the UK had come over. They were young adults, but they were uh, autistic drag queens. And I can't tell you how much it just pulled at my heart to see them being exploited in such a manner and uh, nobody there to, in, with a sane mind to protect them. And I remember that the ombudsperson had made light of this being a heated topic and it was about the sexual exploitation of children. And I was, I got back to him and I said, how dare you? You, you have no business even being part of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, CBC uh, d division that I was writing to. I said there, I, I honestly believe within the CBC at the time I was writing that I think there's, you know, a sexual ex child exploitation ring going on or individuals that have no idea of the, the proper structure of society any longer with where children fit into that. It's just become so demented. I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, exp well, explaining my thoughts properly there. The lines have become so blurred, and that's blurred. part of this whole 
that that there will be no um, differentiation in the sexual sense between adult and child, right? And mm -hmm. most recently, um, the UN, the UNESCO, has uh, declared that child children need to be um, taught sex education from birth onward. Like, you know, we have to start looking, tearing those things apart and thinking critically, what does that mean? Hello, you know, teaching them sex education. And of course, it's under, all under the guise, well, you want to teach them pregnancy. I don't think there's a two-year-old alive that needs to know how, how a woman gets pregnant. Like, I mean, children have an inquisitive mind but they are readily satisfied with the very fundamental explanation. And uh, of course, then they get into schools and what they're getting in there. So it's just such a nefarious process to indoctrinate the children. That is, yeah. Uh, and when you well, talked, uh, there's one thing I you know, was going to say, Tanya, was that you talked about what's happening, um, you know, with uh, the criminal element, we call it criminal element now and the whole pedophilic thing, but we're seeing um, young boys uh, now perping on little boys, like teenage mm -hmm. boys, and it's a direct result. And this isn't just one incident in 100,000. <laughs> this is happening in the schools and our churches. And, and it's a direct result of what they have been taught, because there is no sexual behavior that is um, off limits. And so here, young teen boys, you know, are, are just believing they, they're taking the curriculum at face value. <laughs> and then they're right. ending up sexually assaulting other children and and this is a horrendous it's going to be a horrendous end for all of these children right and how and trying as you were saying earlier and how to turn this around and when i had mentioned uh, about the mission school board choosing to ban us i'm very curious to know what is it that they are hiding in that school district oh. because i literally i know it was a god thing i ended up uh, meeting a, a person who actually works in the school district with the mental health and she said it is a crisis in in mission yes. british columbia and that the fact that a nine-year-old boy was sexually assaulted by five other boys in his class the school oh. this is the news reporting this but never informed his mom never called her and never got him medical treatment so she's suing him and then just Good. last week, I learned of another girl. She's coming from a very abusive home. There's people that are trying to um, assist her. She's 12 years old, but she's very well developed as well. And in the Mission School District, the boys are teasing her, 12 years old, uh, and, and uh, about sexual things and, of course, her development. And it's just not right. And another girl had committed suicide because at the age of 14 in the Mission School District, she was introduced to a trans person who was invited to give their testimony and um, ended up going down that path at age, age of 20. She realized she'd been deceived by the school district, but she couldn't win her battle against uh, drug addiction and had a fentanyl overdose. She tried multiple times to commit suicide. So I'm not going to be banned. I'm not going to be shut down. I'm going to continue to encourage parents to remove their kids from the public and uh, private education systems because you're playing Russian roulette every day you turn turn them over to uh, the education system. It's, it's brutal. 
Well, and we haven't even talked about all the other things that are happening apart from the trans ideology, but then you get into the whole um, sex slave and, uh, you know, all of the stuff that is happening in the older grades now within the school system itself. I mean, there is no protection for our children in the system. And when I hear about that young boy, the fact that the principal did not call the parent and that child was molested on school property by other children, that uh, it makes my blood boil. This would not have happened even 10 years ago. The parents would have been called. Secrets that are being kept are are Mm -hmm. enormous. Right. And if you consider that, you know, parents not only in Canada, around the world, I was seeing more videos today from the U.S. where they're actually suing school boards uh, legally for the books that are in the school system. And here I finally managed to get, uh, you know, the Zoom on a Zoom call and they had approved our delegation, but they said they didn't approve it, uh, you know, for a presentation. But I had asked, oh, would you allow me to share screen? And they did. And I started showing the books and they shut it down. And I kept scrolling. I managed to get the books on record. And then the news headline saying that this was graphic material. And it's like, well, exactly. And we that was on a Tuesday. And we, uh, myself and the chapter leader met with the school board superintendent, Angus Wilson, on, fri- on the Friday. And that's the day we had the news release. I said, I'm sure you're aware of this. It had just come out. And he says, yes, that's why you're in today. And and I'm like, wow, you admit that? And, you know, other things, I did record the conversation, but to me, something very nefarious, because he spent an hour and a half with us, and I walked away thinking, okay, we'd made some headway to understand that we've got legitimate concerns, children are being sexualized through SOGI, and then they're saying, prove it, we prove it, and then they ban us. And so that would mean that um, he's involved in this in supporting that they in and banning i want everybody to know school boards do not have the power and the right elected officials on supreme court rulings i have included it in the, in the action this week under the mission school board uh, portion of the action uh their supreme court ruling saying that elected officials cannot arbitrarily ban us and and so i'm going to be uh pursuing having that ban removed but again all of this is uh, at the cost of uh taxpayers so it, well, it's and it's a huge fight. It's a huge fight because at every level you are fighting this ideology and these people who are are either blind to the reality or choosing to cave to the ideology, which is more likely because it's the path of least resistance. But the reality is that that path is to leading to the destruction of our children. And so we can't stop fighting 10 and we have to keep pushing. And the more of us that do it, and in every municipality, when we get into the school boards, there were almost 30 of us at the last school board meeting, and then we're going to keep going. We're going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep writing letters. Others are going to keep writing letters. Um, The notice of liability, those kind of things are so important. And at some point, and I mean, when I was, uh, I was allowed to present a delegation in 2018. And I, and I said, you know, um, you are going to be held liable for the, the outcomes of these children that you are teaching. And so, hey, put them on notice, keep them on notice. And we have to keep the, you know, um, the fire going because it needs to be addressed. 
Yeah, I mean, they have a fiduciary duty that when we serve a notice of liability, this is warning that what they're doing is either causing harm or illegal, and in this case, both. And the path of least resistance is not going to be an excuse when they end up in court one day saying, I was told yeah. to do this, I was doing it according you know, to the Minister of Education's dictates. No, you have a duty, first and foremost, we all do in this nation, that we have a duty to report harm. And whether yeah. these school board trustees, maybe the uh, superintendents, are part of a sexual a child sexual exploitation ring or whether it is the path of least resistance whatever it's going to come down to i believe that this is already starting to fall apart that uh trustee ashby in ontario she uh had done the right thing and she resigned after all of her hateful comments we've got uh several trustees that are stepping down in british columbia because they can't handle the heat and uh so really this is going to be about applying the utmost amount of prep uh, pressure in a legal manner. And uh, again, we do not promote violence or vandalism, regardless of what Mr. Cardell and his ridiculous lawyer have to say. We have a right. We need to stand up and protect our children. They are being abused and attacked, and uh, we got to protect them. And and so, Anne, we're, we're going to uh, wrap things up. Um, so, um, Okay, so you know what? Somebody has come up with uh, one more question, and I would encourage these people to join our parent uh, meetings. Every parent meeting that we've had is on our parent webinar page, and they say not everyone is able to homeschool their children, and we recognize that. That's why we're continuing to pull as many kids out and facilitate parents to get into homeschooling groups and plead with pastors to open up their churches, and that's why we're fighting so hard in this uh, at the school board level uh we're going up against the principals and the teachers serving them the notice of liability they have a duty to protect those children they do not have to promote or teach this curriculum if they are or this resource they're choosing to they need to make the right choice not to as Ann, dr ann had said she is herself going into the school board meetings and she is appealing to the school boards She's uh, letting them know what their fiduciary duties are to protect children. And so we're going to continue to fight for all those parents who do not have the option to pull their kids out. And so, Anne, what would further would you have to say to this parent? Well, I would say, um, yeah, if you can, if you can find another homeschooling parent that -hmm. you could work with. And, you know, you don't have to you don't have to educate your your child between nine and four. You can sit down with your child at seven till nine, you know, or you can you can sit down with them in the evening. You can work with other parents around their schedules and their children. There are things you just have to find a way. And it's not easy. I'm not suggesting it's easy, but your children are worth it. The other thing I want to say there is that um, uh, there's a group called Third um, Education Revolution. And in Canada, we call it Truth and Transformation. And what we are are doing is providing a platform, hopefully just very quickly, to um, see classical schools, uh, just an upsurge in classical schools opening in churches all across this country. And so if we have, you know, a teacher and, and maybe we'll be able to have uh, two or three teachers that the parents can actually pay to do the schooling. And I know it's everything costs money. Absolutely. But your children's lives are really literally at stake. So Absolutely. That's 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Anne. And um, I know that Sheila has already put in our chat the parent webinar with the recordings. Right. We'll make sure that that's going to be in the description for those of you who are viewing this video afterwards. We really encourage you to join our Rumble channel because, of course, they're censoring us on Facebook and other social media platforms. And uh, within that, in the webinar that we had yesterday, we actually addressed this topic and why we're working so hard to uh, encourage parents like you were saying is that you have five days a week. If you each could find a parent that could take one day off and homeschool your child, you could all share that burden. And that you put your child in school for six and a half hours and you can teach your child more in an hour and a half then their child will learn in six and a half hours, and yet you've got them in safety. The reason that we have Action for Canada and our chapters is because we're building communities where those parents, because we have parent teams, parent groups within our chapters, we have others that are actually boots on the ground going out to churches in the community, educating the pastors, bringing awareness to what's going on. This is happening en masse across Canada. Pastors are coming on board, they're opening up their doors to an Action for Canada chapter, but also they're opening their doors to our community members who want to bring parents together so that they can figure out how to do this. I mean, this is old style community living. And and that's yeah. where we're coming back to. And I'm really excited about it. Even people are growing gardens together, but how much more important to grow the garden of our children's minds, <laughs> if I could say it kind of corny in that way. Um, okay, so I encourage everybody uh, make sure that you check out the page that we created for Dr. Anne Gillies. Uh, we are promoting all of her books. We would encourage you to buy all of them and uh, to stay in tune with us because as soon as she has any other books, we're going to, Anne, if you'll let me know, uh, just send me a link and we'll add that to your page because I know that people really appreciate you and are following what you're doing very, very closely. So is there anything that you would like to add in closing? I just want to thank you, Tanya, Um, you and others like you who have um, paved the way for others to come after, to stand up, because this is what it's going to take. And we need to make this a broad highway of uh, individuals that are willing, willing to stand up for their children. So thanks for all you're doing. All right. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to having you on the show again. God bless. God bless. Well, wow, it can be so overwhelming. But you know what? Our kids are overwhelmed every single day. We do not have the option to bury our head in the sands. We are at war for the hearts and minds of our children. Okay, so next week's guest is going to be uh, Jeff uh, Snicer. I had the privilege of just by chance, he's like, do you want to, you know, join this Zoom link? I'm going to be talking about my local community and Kamloops, BC, and what they're doing in uh, as far as the smart city infrastructure is concerned. It's going to be shock. It's going to shock you to see how well organized, again, this um, infiltration into our cities has been as well, and how our mayors and city councils are going along with the uh, smart cities, believing that they're actually doing a good thing. Believing that there is a a global climate disaster coming right around the corner. It is all built on a pile of lies. And so uh, I've already been working on the action. I almost completed it today. I think that's a record for me. I'm real proud of that. But we're going to give you really important and great information on this. And again, 
just like what we're dealing with our kids, the um, the solution to this is going to be civil disobedience on mass. We have rights. They cannot limit our right to be mobile, okay? And knowledge is power. And so that's what Action for Canada wants to do is we just don't want to educate you and scare the bejeebers out of you. We want to make sure that you are empowered and ready to go with tangible resources to fight for your freedoms. All right, Terenzio, the, the uh, Bible verse. Okay, this is going to be a bit of a heavy one. Okay, lying is sin, right? And I mean, that made the top 10, right? We shall not bear false witness. And and my heart is, is not just to handle um, all of the tyranny and let all of our viewers and all of our members know about the things that are going on. But as I've said over and over again, this is a spiritual battle of epic proportions. And in Canada, we were fa- we are found we are founded as a Christian nation on biblical principles. And even for all you atheists out there and unbelievers and New Agers, that's okay. You know what? But what you got to recognize is that your freedom is based on biblical principles, and it just can't be denied. It's part of our hi- history, and it sets us apart from totalitarian regimes. And if you take a look at the fifty-six Islamic majority countries, Pakistan, North Korea. Uh, These countries have amazing, beautiful people who would have loved to have lived in what we once had as a free and democratic nation in Canada. But the government infiltrated way back when with this communist agenda, and they began to call us a secular nation, and secular anything that ends in an ism is not good. It's all based on communism, socialism. It's all part of the same umbrella. It's not good, okay? It's nothing freedom-related there. And then they said we're a multicultural nation. But it's the same thing as all these isms, because then they're wanting to open up the door to all these foreign systems of belief that are built on all these isms, all right? Buddhism. And then Islamism, all right, Th- these are, not, these are not, not good belief systems. And that's not just me being a hater or saying something very negative about other people's belief systems. I'm just looking on the facts of what I noticed going on in the 56 Islamic majority countries. Communism, China, it's not good. You know, the greatest underground church is in, is in China. And the greatest amount of Christians, that's where their hope comes from. And so Revelations 21.8, if you don't know Revelations, it's the last book of the Bible, and it's warning of the end times. And the end times come because a nation turned their back on God, and right now it's globally. And we've got to recognize the glory and the goodness of God. But in there, Revelations 21.8, it says, but the cowardly. Now think about COVID-19. Think about the cowards in government that wanted to go along with the narrative because because they didn't want to face any opposition. The cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral. And when we talk about sexually immoral, we're not just talking about homosexuality or deviance. We're talking about those, you know, who are cheating on their spouse, adultery. We're talking about sex outside of marriage. It's not God's perfect design. And I, I love you enough to speak some of the truths, all right? You need to know this. Sorcerers. Okay, we got witches that are actually putting curses on people right now. All right, that's demonic activity and idolaters and all liars, liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So you're going to die one day. We all are. And we're going to end up standing before the Lord, God Almighty, 
And he's going to either say, I know you well done, good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, I know you not because you did not know me. You had an opportunity to know me and yet you denied me. And then the second death is in the lake of fire, according to the teachings of the Bible. And so Revelations 22, 14 to 15 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. That's the well done, good and faithful servant. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And so um, I come to you with an appeal in my heart today that if you've been sitting on the fence as you've gone through, you know, witnessing this battle and all of the evil that has transpired in, in this nation and around the world, and you are recognizing that there is a definite evil. You see, Justin Trudeau doesn't like absolutes. He doesn't like absolutes. He likes the gray area, which is where the devil, devil likes to reign. Right. If there's a gray area, there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute wrong. And we know that it is very wrong that they had forced Canadians to take a, take a deathly harmful jab. We can say that without a doubt for those of us who have the gift of, of having our eyes open. There is many Canadians who didn't, and they're, they're going to come over to our side. They're going to have learned a hard lesson because somebody in their family or themselves is going to either be suffering some great harm related to this jab, and they're going to realize that they've been had. And you're going to realize as well that it's a, it's a tremendous evil to sexualize children and lie to them, death be to those who are sexualizing our children and lying to them and causing this harm. And you absolutely know that this is wrong. There's an absolute evil going on in this land. And it's because we took God out of the school system. We no longer do uh, the Lord's Prayer. We no longer read from the Bible, which is a great source of wisdom and understanding and great moral teachings, and we turned our back on him. And when that happens in a nation throughout history, just go back and look through uh, you know, historical documents, read the Old Testament in the Bible, that when a, a country turned their back on God, God allowed a, a king to rise up, and there was a reign of terror for decades until people all of a sudden, like where we are right now today, realized that we should have been taking a stand for good and that we shouldn't have been denying God. So if you're sitting on that fence today and you say, well, how do I, how do I stand at those pearly gates, Tanya? Trust me, you don't have to be perfect. You could have some really heavy sins in your life. You may have been somebody that's leading a sexual, de living a sexual deviant life, and you want that to end. And it's only through God that he can free you in miraculous ways. And so I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes right now, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your life. And so you can just pray along with me. I'll pray as if I'm, I'm you so that you know the words. And you would just go, Lord Jesus, God, Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross. Heavenly Father, and sac sacrificing yourself one time for all for our sins. And that all we need to do is acknowledge you, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior and the Son of God as ruler over this prince of darkness. When you died on that cross, you won the war over the devil in this, in this land. And all we need to do is put our faith in you. And I put my faith in you today, Lord, and I ask you to be savior of my life. I commit my life to you. I confess my sins. And I pray that you would help me, Lord, clean up my life and live a new life in you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. 
If you've made that decision today, I would encourage you to reach out to our prayer team. The link will be in the description. The link will be in our chat right now. And uh, so on that, I just want to thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you and God bless Canada.